I think we can say that we disappointed them this season. Um, it just wasn't good enough from, from the first game to the, to the last game. in the post-game press conference talking about some harsh truths about Inter-Miami's 2020 season. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of Miami Total Football Radio or as I like to say in Spanish, Miami Total Football Radio. I'm your host on this week's podcast and as always with me is Steve Brenner. Steve, how was your first weekend of what is now officially Inter-Miami's off-season? Yeah, I mean, you know, sad, sad. Upset, you know, with the way it went, really. Upset's probably a little bit strong, but just, yeah, it was a pretty pretty dispiriting and just sort of sluggish end end to the season. You know, we'd been speaking all all week. We'd spoken to the the team and Diego Alonso. We spoke to World Trap and everything was sort of building up to this big game. And then it came to the game and it was like, wow, you know, the the Friday night when, when, um, or the Thursday night, sorry, when... Higuain and, and Leandro Gonzalez Perez and Federico Higuain were all ruled out with COVID. That was the that was the killer for me, really. Uh, expertly revealed by yourself, of course. So kudos to you. Well done. Thank you. Um, thank you. But once once that was announced, the writing was very much on the wall. Okay. Well, we are going to talk about that, and we're going to jump into all of that. But we're going to do so with a very special guest. Drum roll. Eric Krakauer is back in the house for the end of season pod. Eric, how are you doing? How are you feeling to be back on? And are you ready to talk some more into Miami? <laughs> Great. Back by popular demand. Please, people, <laughs> stop sending me mail, okay? I'm, I've got a busy schedule, and that's why I haven't been on the pod. But you've been in, in very uh, good uh, hands. And I'm, and I'm happy to talk about the debacle that was that game against Nashville. And as Steve said, I mean, the writing was on the wall, wasn't it? When Once those uh, COVID positive cases uh, came out, uh, it, it just spelled doom and gloom. And so it played out. And it did play out that way, a three to zero loss to fellow expansion side. Nashville SC, we'll talk about that. We're going to talk about the analysis of the game. We're going to talk about AJ Delagarza's posting comments, and we'll touch into the offseason. All after this, there's plenty to, to discuss, so let's get to it. Okay, so as we said, it was a defeat for Inter-Miami to Nashville SC, its expansion brethren in 2020. A pretty disjointed performance, a pretty flat performance, and the goals came in the first half, two came within the first 24 minutes. 14th minute strike from outside the penalty area from Randall Leal. And then a 24th minute penalty kick. A questionable penalty kick, but a penalty kick from Hani Mukhtar before Dax McCarty put a nice bow on things with a goal from outside the penalty area in the second half. What were your guys' takeaway? I'll start with you, Steve. What, what did you think uh, of the loss overall and the performance in the loss? I know you touched on it a little bit ago, but if you could expand on what your thoughts were just over those 90 minutes yeah just 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 disappointing really didn't it? you know they were behind the eight ball pretty much early on goal after eight minutes two down after what 20, 20 odd 20 odd minutes something like that just, just never really in the game it was interesting you know listening to ESPN and you know Taylor Twelman was quite critical of Diego Alonso's tactics he felt that Lewis Morgan was was wasted sort of kind of in the middle rather than out wide but you know it was once once it was revealed by yourself 
um, that, you know, those key players were going to be missing. You know, we've been banging on the same, banging the same drum for, for the last few weeks. The key men need to stand up. And when two of the key men, I also had, also did read a wonderful piece about how Leandro Gonzalez Perez was going to be the MVP of, of Miami. <laughs> 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 so that was pressing by yourself, but you know, once once those two guys, which effectively, you know, Gonzalez Perez and um, and Gonzalo Higuain, once they were ruled out, and you know, it was they were really sort of it just it just wasn't going to happen for them. And um, you know, Pizarro, obviously, you know, they, he came back from from his international exile and was anonymous again and just didn't really do anything and just couldn't really get in the game. And and you know, the the Nashville players would just just seem well more better organised. They were drilled better, and and their big guys, their big guys stood up and and, and produced the key moments, and um, they faded towards the sec- in, in the second half. But for the first half, they were absolutely spot on, and they they absolutely deserved everything they got. Well, when we get our cult following in twenty twenty, I'm I'm sure you're gonna have a shirt that says your slogan's gonna be Rodolfo Pizarro did nothing on it because I think I've heard you say, I think I've heard you say that like every week on on this pod. No, no, hey, hey I agree I with you. He, know, was, but, he was you know, he was one of, he was the worst player about- for me. He was the worst player for me on the field for Inter-Miami, 100%. We're, talk, we're talking about the, the big players stepping up mm-hmm. stepping up at the right time. And, you know, Higuain has done it in little pit patches, but just when they needed him, just when they needed Pizarro to produce that, that standout performance, why they're paying him the big bucks, just mm-hmm. to, to drag the team by the scruff of the neck and really push them forward. He did nothing. I, I agree. I agree with you. I 100% agree with you. Um, I'm just busting your chops, Steve. But no, I, I agree with you, Logan. And 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 I, I think I think you know there's some circumstances that play into that. He joined up with the team on Thursday night, the day before the game, so he didn't even get to train with the team. Not even once before before the match. He's no. probably drained as well from playing on Tuesday, traveling over the Atlantic to get back to 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 playing for Inter Miami. So there's there's some factors in there. But look, at the end of the day. There's no excuse. He he gets paid a lot of money. He was pro- I think he's the high, he was the highest paid player on the field in in that match. So he has to deliver, and he didn't come close to that. He he was at fault for two of the three goals given up uh, or involved in them. At least he on the first one he gets. I think he dribbled out of bounds and, and led to a throw in, or he was dispossessed. Now the first one he was dispossessed with the ball, and then it came back the other way. And then on the second one he he runs out of bounds uh, and leads to the throw in that eventually. Ends up as a as a penalty kick for you know, for Frank, Nashville. Just quickly, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, we talk about Nashville faded, but but Hani Mukhtar looked looked like a DP, looked like the main guy that was going to cause problems and did cause a lot of problems. He was the presence. Mm-hmm. Where, where, where was where was Miami's presence? There, there, there was no one. Yeah, there was just no one. No, no one stood up to be counted. Whereas was Mukhtar was 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 superb, was it? Randy Leal as well was was excellent in that first half. They faded towards the, the back end of the second half, but. You know, that that's the difference. Just that their their key guys stood up. Miami's guys didn't. We'll, we'll touch on a little bit more on the and expand on the and the individual performances in a moment. I just wanted to get Eric's thoughts on the game and the overall disappointing showing that led to what was obviously a very frustrating elimination for Inter Miami. Well, let me just start with Pizarro real quick. The fact that this guy, you know, had to fly MLS Airways uh, three <laughs> charter flights to get back. Uh, ridiculous number one, and I don't. I didn't hear the the part of what you guys disagreed about uh, Pizarro, but I think it's it is mind numbing to think that uh, players go and represent their uh, their countries in in friendlies when they've got playoffs uh, looming. Um, and, and you know we can take this back to the point where people didn't even think that Pizarro was going to 
be involved in this game. And perhaps he shouldn't because his performance was dreadful, particularly in the first half when he was uh, dispossessed so many times. He was never let um, for the team. But I think that if you're going to point the finger at anybody before this game, uh, despite the obstacles of those um, COVID-positive um, diagnoses, you have to point the figure at Diego Alonso. Uh, and I think Taylor Twelman was, was spot on. It was the first thing that, I, that sort of caught my eye when I saw the lineups was the fact that Morgan was playing in the middle of the park when he has been Inter-Miami's best player, at least the best attacking player, uh, playing out wide on the right, mostly sometimes on the left. Why would you take the one you know, functioning part of your arsenal uh, out of the position where he's delivered. Now, he hasn't always scored goals, but he has created dangerous situations. And I think that that was one of the problems. But the fact that you're playing with uh, three center backs, uh, Alphys Powell, I think this was only a second or third um, game in a, th- in a three-man back line. Why would you make that decision when you're going into the most important game in, in franchise history? Um so it, for, for me, it was very strange, and it was very obvious right from the beginning that Inter-Miami's midfield simply could not compete against Nashville's, uh, um, Nashville's uh, midfield. I thought that uh, Dax McCarty and Godoy w- were excellent in, in the double pivot, doing a lot of the work that, that released Mukhtar uh, in, in, in dangerous positions and allowed him to, re- to receive the ball virtually without anybody around him, so plenty of space to pick out a pass. Uh, but it wasn't even just the tactics, just in terms of, of, of aggressiveness. Uh, mm-hmm. And the one player who stood out to me, Alex Mwil, looked more aggressive than every single one of Inter-Miami's players. And, and Franco, you and I are used to that because we saw his uh, blossoming career with the New York Red Bulls. Um, so I thought that was pretty indicative uh, of where things were, were, were going. I actually texted uh, Franco about 45 seconds after the goal, and I predicted that it was going to be 4-0. That's how dominant I saw uh, Nashville. And I'll end on this point, uh, and this is something that I actually texted a, a um, MLS play-by-play commentator at the beginning of the game, which was never bet against Dax McCarty. And I think he showed. I mean, he was exceptional in the midfield for, for Nashville. He was, he was my man in the match, and... I'll quickly touch on what you said about Pizarro. They're fair points. Um, I can I can see that to an extent, but Randall Leal maybe he didn't have to travel as far, but Randall Leal was always also coming back from international duty, and, and he had a good game, and he scores a golazo. So um, I, you know, like I said, for Pizarro, I don't think there's there's an excuse for him not delivering and for performing, especially as poorly as he did. However, nobody on Inter Miami performed particularly well in this one. I think, for me, Mikey Ambrose might have been the only player that, that really had a good game, and I think that's because he avoided the type of mistakes that everybody else on the field had. Besides that, it's just, it, like you said, Diego Alonso's game plan for me, and let's just jump into that, was, like you said, I mean, honestly, I think he just overthought things. I think he, you know, the team reportedly couldn't train. They only had one session before they traveled to Nashville on Thursday night because of the the positive COVID test that, that popped up in, in training. They had to shut down the facility at one point. So 
they were limited, and I think that limitation, the limitations he had, including the personnel that was not going to be available. You're talking about Gonzalo Higuain, Leandro Gonzalez Pires, and Andres Reyes, who did not test positive for COVID, but who did have a, a yellow card accumulation suspension. So three key starters for Inter Miami, and I think he just overthought how to go about it. And he comes out with this 5-3-2 formation, essentially. I mean, he played like a 5-1-2-2 because... Like you said, he had Lewis Morgan in placement Matuidi playing as, as interior midfielders, central midfielders. Uh, Rodolfo Pizarro next to Juan Aguadelo up top to, to, to press the, the center backs. And it just didn't work out. It, it, it put Inter-Miami and the players into in a, 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 a formation that they're unfamiliar with. And you could see clearly that they weren't comfortable. It wasn't until he switched out of the out of that formation and into the 4-2-3-1 about the 32nd, 33rd minute mark when he, he brought in Matias Pellegrini for Dylan Nielis that you saw Inter Miami improve and, and start to get more rhythm in, in the match. Granted, they were down 2-0, so maybe Nashville took their foot off the pedal a little bit. But once you saw them in that 4-2-3-1, they started playing their best soccer. In this match, they even generated a, a very good chance early in the second half, 47th or 48th minute for Matias Pellegrini that he has to put away. And he skies, you know, his volley attempt over over the crossbar, despite being fairly wide open. Dax McCarty scores a few minutes later, um, and you know the rest is is history. Steve, but just listen. I mean, just listen. Listen to what you've said. You know, they have they weren't able to train. The, the, the facility was shut down. He hadn't, weren't able to work on any, any set plays or work on any any you know formations. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to make excuses. He didn't want to make excuses. Diego Alonso afterwards, but. You know, there was a lot going on, and clearly, once you know the, the COVID positive test started coming in, that just, you know, that just really, really makes things really difficult. But, but that to me makes it even more of a point than stick with what you know or stick with the players know. Stick with what they've played in and what they're comfortable in and what they're familiar with. Switching to this new formation that they've never played before, when what you just said, they haven't trained, they haven't really been able to work on things. Like, how does that make sense? To me, that makes less sense than than trotting out what you what you're normally used to playing like if you haven't had time to to get these repetitions and because of a difficult unforeseen challenge i don't understand how you can all of, all of a sudden just be like well let's try let's try something new in this, in this and to that game. point and to that point sorry franco just to, to cut in but you know you look at the 11 that's that was on the field for that game not to dissimilar to what Inter-Miami started the the season with. So why not revert to what you had initially done in the beginning of the season? And and sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. And and Franco, you and I talked about this ad nauseum. There were certain things that he could have done in this game. And I understand the, the, how difficult this situation was that Diego Alonso had to deal with, but why not sort of, rely on on players who you've played in particular in particular positions and have done you know pretty well on occasion for example if he goes with a three man back line why not play Ben Sweat as a as a starter why put ba- Powell in, in in that back line we saw Sweat play a few games as a center back uh, this season why was Victor Oyoa on the bench when obviously they were going to need a strong midfield, then you could have pushed Morgan out wide. So there were actual personnel choices here that I simply did not understand. I was a little bit uh, uh, stupefied by the eleven that that Diego Alonso uh, put out. The, the, the personnel doesn't don't doesn't not bother me as much as 
the formation because you've never used this formation before. Why would you use this well, that's formation? Part of it. That's part of it. I think I think the Ben Sweat like the Ben Sweat for, for you know to, if I wanted to argue your 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 point, Ben Sweat hasn't had a great season. Um, he and, and as of late he's had a lot of errors defensively. So I, I he completely took him out of the lineup and and you know went with Mikey Ambrose. So. That, it's clear that he just didn't trust Ben Sweat, um, especially out of position. So I get it. Look, he, he was shorthanded. That's why you he see Alvis Powell. Powell. But, I mean, Alvis Powell. I guess he thought he had a good enough game when he played at center back in, in the recent match. I think it was against Toronto, yeah, Toronto FC. Um, so I guess he, he saw enough there to, to, to trust him. Um, you know, and I guess he has the experience, whereas Christian McCoon doesn't have an ex- doesn't have experience, even though he's more of a, not necessarily a natural center back, but he's had more maybe more minutes there. Regardless, the game plan to me was clearly uh, puzzling, especially when you take into account that the front five, uh, that's how I'll phrase it, you know, the, the, the midfielders and the, and the two attackers, the two forwards, they were instructed to press high. Diego Alonso said this after the match. They were told to press high to press Nashville center backs and their two sixes, their two defensive midfielders. And they did do that from the beginning. But the defense did not help or move forward with with the rest of the team. The defense stayed in, in the back five, stayed in deeper positions, and you had and I, I, I highlighted this on SBISoccer.com with images where I've like put circles around the big open empty space that was that was created because the front five were pressing while the back five were just kind of standing in a deeper spot and then just had this empty block or empty gap in the middle with acres of space that Nashville FC found successfully, and and that's where they got two of their three goals from. Um, and, and look, Randolph's opener is a heck of a finish from distance, a absolute bomb. What a hit! However, he doesn't take that shot. He doesn't feel the confidence and the and the comfort to make that decision if he has someone in front of him pressing him and making it challenging for him. He took that shot because he had all the space and all the time to decide to make to take that hit. And that's on Diego Alonso. That is the tactics did not work. They did not play the players' strengths. And it just was overall the, the lines were all over the place. It, it, it was it was really bad, man. It, it was as juvenile uh, 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 a performance I've seen in the professional game as I, I mean ever. Ever because just the lines were so out of whack, so out of whack. It is symptomatic of everything that happened. I I think we have to we have to make that point that you know these these are extraordinary circumstances that the teams are are dealing with. Whenever have they has it been a situation where players have been unable to travel because of a of a of a a virus and it affects the rest of the squad? They can't train. I mean, you know, I'm not making excuses for them. I will say that, but. These are extraordinary circumstances and, and stuff that he's never, ever dealt with. Please, God, hopefully not, none of us have ever have to do it again. But we have to add that caveat that these are these are wild, wild times and not in a good way. I mean, I, no, I, absolutely. I, I get that. I get that. No, I get that. And I, but I asked AJ de la Garza, this is your 24th game of the season. And yes, you're an expansion team. You're coming off a couple weeks where you're not where you're not training. But like at, at this point, how do you how do you guys explain such a disjointed Performance and that is partially tactics. And now we can talk. I, I want to touch on this. Is AJ De La Garza's comments after the game? And, and Steve, I think me and you agree. We we're both there asking questions. This might have been the press conference of the season, uh, at least from a media from a media perspective. Exactly. It was late. I was ready to sort of. I'd, I'd already fired my story. I thought we were gonna. We were supposed to be getting Blaze Matuidi. I thought great. I'm working for an agency which is 
based in Paris. Fantastic. Matuidi didn't come up. AJ de la Garza, ugh, what's he going to say? And it was brilliant and, and just refreshing as well because normally, you know, the footballers, soccer players, whatever, especially young ones, they, they, you know, it's drilled into them. They're media trained. They never really say anything. They don't want to upset people. And fair play to him. He came in and he was honest and it was just so refreshing to hear that. And everything he said, we were just like, Okay, fine. I'm not sure you're gonna you're gonna touch on that right now, but it was refreshing, even though it was midnight and I was very very tired. <laughs> I think we should touch on it. And I, I know Eric wanted to say something, so let let let's Eric, you know, add what you were gonna say, and then I want to dissect Agent Delagarza's comments because to, to me there was three positives about Inter Miami on Friday night. One was Mikey Ambrose. Two was Diego Alonso's suit choice and three was age de la garza's press conference that 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 he was insightful he was honest he was candid we absolutely need to analyze that in in detail but eric i'll I'll let you finish your your previous thought i was just gonna i was just gonna sort of piggyback uh, on what steve said about you you know unprecedented circumstances we already talked about pizarro and we could say the same thing about leal and the fact that you have international play people are participating in friendlies i mean it, it it's absurd you know it's as as absurd as allowing you know fans in stadiums during a a, a pandemic without uh, being socially de- uh, uh, you know distanced and all of these things together just to sort of amplify the point that that steve made so let's let's touch on delagarza's comments cuz one of my favorite things to do uh, part of this 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 job on the media side and even when I'm just observing other teams and from afar like Peru's national team I'd like listening very closely to press conferences and what players and coaches say and what they don't say and AJ de la Garza for me was incredible I'm gonna I'm gonna read through a couple of his quotes here and we can we can touch on them one of the biggest ones was talking about the game and how it was a microcosm of the season. This is this is his quote. It's almost exactly what's happened throughout our year. On the defensive side of the ball, we were not good enough at pressing and stopping shots. On the flip side, I looked up at the scoreboard one time and we had nine shots and they had three shots and they had three goals and we had zero. On both sides of the ball, we have to be better. That just comes with training and being better. We've got nobody to blame but ourselves. I think a lot of guys can say they didn't live up to what they came here to do, unfortunately. We have to go into the offseason feeling like that. That's one quote. That's one quote. He, he had the, the one that we heard at the beginning of the pod. And he also had, he had this one here. As a defender, you're trying to delay as much as possible, but we have to do better. The communication has to be better. The language barriers have to be better. Too many guys don't speak Spanish. Too many guys don't speak English. And that leads to not communicating on the field. He got some heat for that. He actually responded today to, on Twitter to some fans that were saying he was using that as an excuse. And he doubled down on his stance and said, look, we, we just haven't been able to communicate at certain points. So let's let's touch on all that. Let's touch on all that. Steve, I want to start with you. What, what, what do you make of his comments? I mean, I know you, you, know you said it's been you, you took you took it away positively in terms of, um, you know, how refreshing it was to hear someone come out and say these harsh realities, these harsh truths. But what do you agree with him? Do you? What, you know how much how much stock do you put into what he said? Yeah, you know I, I think you've touched on it in the past. You know, hinting at a, a sort of language barrier sort of problem, but it, that 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 is a massive problem, isn't it? And and then that you know they can't people aren't being able to communicate properly. You know, we, when we speak to Diego Alonso, he, he only speaks in Spanish. He understands English. He's obviously got you know he's got English backroom staff. Anthony Pulis is there, who's English. I don't know if he speaks Spanish or not. I don't think he does. 
So, so there is a, there is a problem. I'm, I'm assuming that Diego, Diego can get his message across, but it is a bit strained. And then you've obviously got guys like maybe Reyes or, or Gonzalez. Gonzalez Perez speaks English, doesn't he? So I'm not sure who else there is. Blaise Matuidi's English is probably not great. Bizarro, Iguain's English is probably not is not great. Lewis Morgan is Scottish, so his English is not great either. Um, <laughs> but you know that is a massive, huge problem. And then if you trail all the way back to the recruitment process, why, why are they bringing in people that can't communicate with each other? Is there enough people in the backroom staff that communicate? You know, it's 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 a massive problem. You know, whenever you play soccer, it's drilled into you from the start. You've got to speak, got to talk, you've got to communicate, let people know. If you're unable to talk to each other in the same language or at least convey your message in a, in a concise uh, way, it's it's a problem, and you know that is really the first time in all the weeks we've been going on these Zoom press conferences and whatever that we've actually heard someone say that. And obviously, it came at the denouement of the uh, of the season, but it's it's a very very valid point, and I think says a lot about where the squads at and where the recruitment has gone wrong, where as if it's gone right, where where it's gone wrong. And, you know, I think that the sort of front office have some questions to answer on that particular score for sure. Wow, denouement, huh? Denouement, huh? I want to hear what Eric has to say. I want to hear what Eric has to say because he covers a lot of international, well, not international, but, you know, European-based soccer, some South American club soccer. So he, he might have a different opinion. I, I don't know. I haven't talked to him about this particular point. But before he does, I'm going to put in my two cents here. I think it is an issue. I think it's a minor issue. So if people think, you know, Agent Lagarza is saying this is the reason why they why we lost. When, when I say we, he's saying, you know, him saying Inter-Miami. I don't think that that's the point what he's making. I think he's just saying this is an issue that they have. And it's, you know, everything, all the little details add up and they make... Uh, they make they make a uh, they paint a full picture. So it's an important think it's an important is, point though for sure. Sure, ab- ab- absolutely. You need to be able to communicate with your teammates. Obviously, you know professional players don't speak don't don't play as mutes. They talk, they communicate, they bark at each other, they shout at each other. However, at the, so at the same time, Inter Miami is not the only team that has players from different countries with language barriers, and other teams, be it with talent, be it with tactics, be it with different processes, they find ways to overcome. This issue, which is something Inter Miami is going to have to have to figure out, and I'll add this because I said today with Kayla and Kyle on Onside Radio, they had me on as a guest today. I think the language barrier speaks to a bigger problem, and that's culturally. Is this did this team ever really bond as well as it needed to? Because the language is just I think is a small part of it. I think it's a window into maybe a bigger issue. Now every team, professional team, has its. I don't want to say clicks, but it has its groups, right? And you have certain type of guys hang out with certain type of guys. Maybe be it the married guys hang out with the married guys, the single guys hang out with the single guys, etc., uh, etc. Et here, here you've in any footage you've seen of the team over the course of the year, the Spanish-speaking guys, the Argentines, Rodolfo Pizarro, they're usually together. The American guys, they're usually together, or the English-speaking guys are usually together. So there, there, there are different factions in this team, like there are in any team. And they've said they're a family. There's never been talk of any issues in the locker room, at least not that we've ever heard. Um, those reports have never, you know, nothing of that sort has ever come out. But how much could they really bond this year? How much did they, were they really able to connect? I was just going to say, the, the, the one quote from him, it, it's been hard to bond with the COVID situation. Chatting on Zoom meetings doesn't help. You just get to know your teammates. But again, we can't make excuses. So again, that is, again, an important point that he made. They have been unable to bond 
properly. Remember when we first started doing those press conferences back in, you know, March, April, they were everyone was working from home effectively. So, you know, again, another another insight into into where the problems are. It's an issue, I think, but it's I think again, it's a minor issue. I don't think that's the main reason why they lost. Eric, what 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 are your two cents in, in terms of the language barrier? Quote and, and his comments with regards to that. Well, let me start with this, and I don't know if this is factual, so you two would know a lot more about this than me, but uh, I have been told, and I have to admit that I've switched off MLS because I've been so busy, that uh, some of the COVID-positive cases may have um, uh, roots in a barbecue, where which players were involved in. So I guess we're, we're if that is true, it's probably a good thing that they're not bonding because uh, they wouldn't have been able to to field a team. Um, but but going back to uh, Two points. So let's talk about the communication uh, issue. Uh, on Friday, I happened to be on a call uh, with Drake Cordero, uh, of all people, um, for Monaco PSG. And no fans in the stands because COVID is spiking in France. So you can hear everything. And what's incredible about the Monaco team is you hear the coaches speaking in three, four five languages. Uh, you had Manone, who used to be the goalkeeper for, for Arsenal. He started, he's communicating with his wall in Spanish, English, and Italian. He didn't, he didn't communicate in, in, in French. So why am I bringing this up? Um, because this whole idea of, of having difficulty communicating with your teammates is now endemic in world football. Right. It's the it's it, it's always been the global game, but it's it's more of a global game now than ever before. And so when when A.J. De La Garza comes out and says this, I, I don't mean to suggest that he's not being honest and he's in in that this is not problematic. But again, it points the finger to me at coaching because those those communication obstacles tend to be overcome when you have drill and kill style training sessions, when everybody knows individually exactly what is expected of him or, or them. Uh, and, and so if, 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 if you are having difficulties during a game communicating what you need a player to do, uh, I think that, that that doesn't look good for, for a coach, but it also tells me that that there's that there's even another underlying issue because let's be honest all of us play this game all of us have played with people from different countries i mean i I've, I've played in in different leagues where i'm trying to communicate with people who don't speak english properly or whatnot but there is a, a universal language of football where you can say certain things mm -hmm. and people will pretty much understand so although i think that this was an issue by no means do i think this was the central issue no, no one's saying. No one's saying that. I don't think anyone's saying that. Yeah, no. I, I mean, I, again, I don't think it's a central issue. I think it's an issue. But I look, and we can close it out with with this with this this point. I, I think what you just said in terms of the language barrier comes into the forefront because soccer wise, or how you, in Spanish you'd say futbolísticamente, they don't understand each other and they're not on the same page. And I think you saw that very clearly on the first and third goals. That, that Nashville SC scored were, again, similar in terms of where the breakdowns happen in central positions versus Randall Leal's bomb from distance. The third one is Dax McCarty literally looking like Dax Messi out there and taking the ball from the midfield line uh, to just outside the 18, unchallenged. Nobody steps up to press him, and he's able to slot the ball into the bottom right 
corner. Now, again, we touched on tactically why there was nobody in those spaces. But if you analyze those plays and you look at both of those plays, you see Blaise Matuidi, he's behind the play. But maybe with 100% effort, he can help get back, break it up, maybe take a yellow card for a, a tactical foul, something of the nature. But what you see him do is gesture and, and point on both plays. Right? Whereas he wanted somebody to step up and make the play. Maybe, you know, he, what he's used to from playing with the France national team and, and, and Juventus and PSG, he, you know, he has, he's used to having teammates that make the proper plays or that step out and, and do things um, that he perceives to be correct. He didn't put, the onus wasn't on him to, he didn't think like, okay, I gotta do my part here, do extra uh, um, beyond, beyond the normal because, you know, my teammates aren't at the same level as I am. Which one, I think is a problem, it speaks to, to Matuidi, maybe that he needs to come to that realization. But two, they just don't understand each other. And I think that's the crux of Agent Lagarza's overall uh, point. And, or if it's not, I think it's just, again, a window into the bigger problem that Inter Miami is going to have to really figure out how to address this this offseason. If you guys want to chime in on Matuidi's performances, there was a lot of criticism about his lack of effort um, on both of that, that first and third goal. Again, I think it's it's a matter of him not 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 realizing yet, and this is something other Eric, you know this well. Other high caliber players from Europe have to transition and realize once they come to MLS, their teammates are not at the, at the same level. They're not going to make the same type of plays that that yeah. their former teammates like, have made. Exactly and, the and same reaction I had when I played with you, Franco. Like I was <laughs> I was asking you to do things that deep down I knew you don't have the ability to do. <laughs> so I know exactly what uh, he was feeling. So then, so so then you're different than Matuidi because I I think Matuidi just didn't have the the realization that he was doing that. Like he he hasn't realized that his teammates aren't going to get there. You knew that I couldn't do things, and you still thought I could. See, speaks to how terrible of a teammate you are. <laughs> er, Eric and I saw this very uh, close and personal with the New York Red Bulls and Thierry. In his initial first season, season and a half, he barked at teammates a lot. Even afterwards, he still barked at teammates. But eventually, he came around to understanding that they were limited and that there were challenges and that he could not expect them to do everything they needed to do. Um, you know, he would give them pointers in training. He came around to help being more of a, of a helpful voice. But initially, there were challenges until he realized, hey, I, I, need, I, like, I can't expect these guys to, to play and, the level. And now yeah, he's doing it all over again with Montreal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean David Villa was the same. You know, the, the list goes on and on for for players across MLS. It's definitely an issue. Um, Steve, I'll let you close out, and then we'll we'll wrap up this this first segment. Just just a very dull point on on the Red Bulls. You obviously there, but I was there too. I mean, you know, he had Tim Cahill there, who was who was a great player and w- was helping him on. So at least he had some kind of assistance. And you know, I think also we're looking back again. But Friday night there was no Gonzalo Higuain, and that affected everything all over the squad, on the pitch, off the pitch, everything. And that, that was it. Tim Cahill, fun fact, is the only is the only active player, or not active player, but is the only player on Twitter, as far as I know, that has blocked me. Um, we'll talk about that some other time. I like him even more now. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back with, uh, with the Q&A session. I put it on, on my shoulders and, and the guy's shoulders uh, that we just weren't good enough and we weren't prepared uh, well enough to, to win the game tonight. All right, guys, it's Q&A time. We have quite a few questions this week. Let's try to run through them as fast as possible. I know we always say that, and then we end up having quite a, a lengthy conversation about them, but let's see if we can speed it up just a little bit here. Um, we'll start with this one. Uh, how we'll do it here is I'll alternate between who starts between Eric and Steve, and 
if you know there's anything I want to add, I'll add. But we'll we'll. I mean, if there's something we really want to go go into detail with, we can. I mean, but let's try to let's try and follow that that procedure. Um, the first one comes from uh, at Achilles XC two. One is this off season a Miami Heat style run it and back situation with very few moves and actually see what these pieces are like. And two, is McCarthy good enough for goalkeeper not being a position of need for the foreseeable future? Okay, Eric, answer the first part. Steve, you can answer the second one about McCarthy. So Miami Heat, that's uh, American football, right? So, okay. Are you, are you being funny? Uh, <laughs> of course I'm being funny. Are you kidding me? <laughs> um, I'm a Knicks fan. I uh, hate Miami Heat. Um, I, look, I, I don't know. I think I think uh, considering considering – the financial restraints, the the fact that they they've gone uh, to get big time players, and they still have issues, questions concerning um, salaries for players like Matuidi. I don't think we're going to see too much movement. Okay, okay, I disagree. I think we will see some significant movement. I think we're going to see more of Diego Alonso's vision, but that's just my 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 opinion. Uh, uh, Steve, what do you think? Is McCarthy good enough for a goalkeeper not being a position that needs to be addressed? Yeah, no, I, I don't see he's been really the problem. I think he's done great in, in the games that he's he's come in. I, I can't really see him. his at four. But he was playing, you know, behind a, a back four, which has been marshaled by your your mate, the, the best player in the world, Leandro Gonzalez Perez, who was who was then who was then missing for that for that game. And, and to be fair to him, he was the he was the rock. He'd really come into his own, and, and you you were right to sort of to highlight him as, as the main guy because he was. And then so for him to be missing was was a massive hammer blow, but. I don't think the keeper's the problem. I think um, you know it's it's in other areas of the field where um, they they badly need some um, inspiration, especially in midfield. I think. I think McCarthy could suffice as a as a starter. I think he could suffice for you, but I don't think he's exactly what they're looking for. And I would not be surprised if they go into the open market to try to find someone to upgrade that position. There were reports a few weeks back that they tried to get. Sergio Romero from Manchester United, who's I think fourth on the depth chart there right now. Um, there was talk, there was reports of that a few weeks ago that they tried to get that done before this transfer window closed, this MLS transfer window closed, and, and they weren't able to. So I wouldn't be surprised if they go into the into the window and, and try to address that spot. But we'll see because they have other positions of need. Second question comes from Fighting Herons. Zlatan was signed as a TAM player mid-season, but became a DP the next season. Does Matuidi become a DP next season, or will he return at the TAM salary? Now, if you're listening to this, you don't know what the heck TAM is. It's targeted allocation money. Funny little mechanism Inter Miami has. Uh, MLS has four teams um, to sign players. Plays Matuidi fell under that category instead of a designated player category. Eric, obviously we don't. I mean, the caveat here is we don't know the salary figures that everybody's on because MLS Players Association did not release. The salary numbers this year because of COVID-19 and players taking reduced uh, salaries because because of MLS's need to, to, to bring those numbers down due to the lost revenue. So we don't know. I mean, Eric, do you think there's a chance that he, he could be a DP next, next season? I, I would imagine so, right? I, I would have to think so. Um, but I don't know. What, what do you think? Yeah, I think so, especially especially after seeing what happened in this playoff game. He wants to get paid adequately for for being in Miami. So, I'm going to say yes, absolutely. Yeah, I, look, and this is this is one key factor that Fighting Herons didn't touch on um uh, uh in his in his question. And I think it might might be why we see Blaze Matuidi move to a DP level player next year. 
well, one, he has experience and, and quality, you know, that, that normally leads to a pretty high salary. Number two is <laughs> you don't seem convinced. No, number no <laughs> number two. Of your voice. No, number two is that he came at midseason, so the cap hit is reduced. It's not the same as if he were here for a full season, where then the cap hit is is higher. So that that very well could be what allowed him to be a tan player this year. Whereas next year he will probably or maybe could fall under under a, a DP caliber player. That next question comes from Pool Cutie at Pool Cutie. Um, why did Alonso perform terribly this season? COVID is not an excuse. AJ said there's a lack of communication. Steve, what are your thoughts? No, I'm going to defend him. Sorry, 62 days he was appointed uh, before the, the start of the season. So many players were, were sort of brought in w- without his sort of you know guidance or anything like that. He was effectively third choice, wasn't he? Vieira, Gallardo, all those guys. I think he did the best that he could. You know, you look at the season, seven wins out of 23, it just, it isn't good enough. I do think that the whole COVID thing, not training, you know, I mean, when did they even go back to, to full training? Wasn't it July or something like that? You know, they spent months just training on their own and doing, you know, it's, I just think that ex- extenuating circumstances, he, he deserves a full crack at it, you know, a proper preseason, which he, he didn't get this time around. Um, yeah, some of his decisions may may have been questionable, but I think he he wears his heart on his sleeve. He seems like a good guy. I think he's he's done some good things, and but he needs a full season. And I think this time next year, then we we can judge him properly. But I think he deserves another crack for sure. So, Steve, you don't think that this is the denouement of his Inter Miami career? No, this is the, the commencement of, of, of a fine future. <laughs> <laughs> What is going on here? This is Miami Total Football Radio. Not, I don't even know what the French uh, term for it is, but I'm not even, I'm not even going to give it a try. Um, this look, is a blaze. This is a blaze, man. This is uh, all for blaze. <laughs> <laughs> look, I'm going to disagree with you on Diego Alonso, and we can touch on that next week because next week we're going to do a, a we're going to come back for another pod and and dissect this season on the whole in terms of individual performances, who who performed well, who did not, you know, who could come back, who might not. Um, I think you know we'll touch on that next week, um, so we don't go crazy long on this week's. So, but I will say this: I don't think Diego Alonso did a good job. I think he struggled to get the most out of a group that, like you said uh, or alluded to, was put together before his arrival, or was largely put together before his arrival. And I think he will get another chance, but I don't think he made the best use of, of the players he had, and, and it didn't work. He couldn't find how to best use them, and they in turn could not respond to his tactics and what he was looking for, as well as the team want, wanted to or hoped. So I think he'll get another shot, but he's definitely on thin ice going into 2021. Um, next question. These two are similar, and like I said, we'll touch on them more in detail in, in, a, in next week's pod. Uh, I'll let both of you respond here, Eric. Starting with you, I'll, I'll read them both, and then you can just address really quickly what you know. What do you What do you think? Um, who would you like to see? And this comes from at Gay P. Who would you like to see in the following positions: right back, left back, and goalkeeper. Also, how could we get better players? And this the second one comes from at Emmanuel Delvi Emmanuel Delgado. Which players make the roster for next season? Who do you see leaving? I'm not going to ask you guys. It would be you'd have to dissect it pretty deep. Give me just one name that you could see going. One name from this team that you definitely see um, being on the out this off season. Go ahead, Eric. Oh wow, uh, 
First of all, a lot of questions uh, mixed into one, so uh, I'm, I'm glad that hasn't changed. <laughs> um, you know what? I think if we're going to see changes, I think we're going to see changes in the center of the park, so I wouldn't be surprised, and this is something that, Franco, you've brought up before. Um, Will Trap potentially leaving? Uh, he didn't become as, as significant a player, I think, as a lot of people expected him to. Uh, I certainly thought that he would he'd be more influential. I think Victor Yoa could also have his his days numbered. But those are sort of the only the the two big ones uh, that come to mind. Not to mention AJ Delagar's uh, <laughs> about state as well. Leave him alone. Leave him alone. <laughs> Decisions like that get made in, in the world of, of football. So I could absolutely see AJ Delagarza being let go after his honest and accurate comments. I, I but you know might not might not uh, go off too well w- within the coaching staff. So I could definitely see, or, and even with you know. The sporting director, so I, I, I could definitely see a situation where, where he goes. Uh, Steve, I'll, I'll let you add a name or two if you want, and then I'll add mine before we move on to the final two questions. I th- yeah, I mean, I think the, the front office definitely have some some answers, uh, some questions to be to be asked of them for sh- for sure. The recruitment, you know, like Paul McDonough made a lot of these transfers before Diego was here. I, I think he has to be slightly accountable. I don't think they've got it right. I think the balance of the squad is 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 is, is a bit off. Pellegrini, he seems like a, a nice kid. Interesting, we've never actually spoken to him. I, I don't think I've ever heard him speak. I don't know. Pellegrini. Correct me if I'm wrong. Pellegrini? Yeah. Yeah, we we spoke to him after the Montreal Impact game where Inter-Miami won. Uh, no, sorry, the New York Red Bulls game. Same same arena, Red Bull Arena, but Inter-Miami won 2-1 with Dago Saliguayan free kick. Matias Pellegrini scored in that game, and he, and he did talk to us after the match and, and talked a little bit about his uh, his rough adaptation period to life in a new country as a as a 19-year-old during a global pandemic. Yeah, young kid, very raw. I just, you know, if he's taking up that kind of money or, or that, that slot... I just, I just think I just don't think, don't think it's worked really. I, so I, I think you know if, if they could potentially do something there, um, strengthen at the back. I mean, you know, like I said, we'll, we'll go into this maybe next week, but that that's one area which is just it's just been disappointing. They just they just haven't had those those guys in in those sort of stellar areas, so to speak. You know, step up and and, and produce, and that that's really where they've fallen down. I think. I think I think they'll keep him when you when you. Invest on young talent, you know it's not going to be an immediate payoff. I think maybe they'll try to restructure his deal, but I think they'll keep him. I don't think they do away with someone uh, his 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 age um, so quickly. I, I'll give you two names here. I think Ben Sweat is as good as gone. Um, way too many errors, and I don't think you're going to necessarily keep him to, to be a, a backup option on this squad. I also think Luis Robles' days are numbered with Inter-Miami. We've touched on that in recent weeks, uh, Steve. But I think John McCarthy showed enough, and he's younger, probably cheaper. Uh, so I think, yeah, I think Luis Robles probably has played his last game as an Inter Miami player. And like I said, I think they could address goalkeeper position even outside of Robles and McCarthy um, going into 2021. Next question comes from Andres at Colo Blanco 97. What kind? And I like this question, huh? I, I really like this question. I like all the questions, but I really like this one. What kind of owner do you think Jorge Mas is? Will he be strict to start over or trust the process with Alonso and McDonough? Both of you can go. Steve, you can start on this one. I mean, you bring Jorge, you've always got to mention, mention Dave as well. Dave Beckham back in, back in England. Your, watching your, your long-lost cousin? 
<laughs> yeah, he's been pretty quiet. He's been busy on social media doing pastry and, and advertising whiskey. He hasn't mentioned too much about the football because I, I guess it, it, it kind of sort of struck him a bit. I think, you know, when Jorge Mas and Beckham speak to each other, when they review the season, that they'll look at it and they'll probably see the recruitment hasn't been that great. So, you know, Paul McDonough is, is their sort of their sort of right hand man on, on the ground dealing with that sort of stuff. He's got, you know, he's got some definitely got some questions to, to answer for sure. Um, um, you know, it just I don't know as we said, MLS they've got their own quirky rules. It's not like Europe or anywhere else where they can just splash the cash and, and bring different players and they've got to balance the books in certain ways but you know other, other clubs have, have done it great look, 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 look at Nashville they looked they looked a great team and, and super solid and I love Gary that guy I love Gary Smith I know he's from England so obviously I will love him no I don't know him but um, you know he he looks like he's, he's done it he's done a great job they just seemed much more together whereas Miami just seems like everything's all over the place right now and there's too many things happening and it doesn't seem like they don't seem like a cohesive unit which is which is what you need so it's going to be interesting just to see what the front office do because i think they need to act and do something um not necessarily get rid of diego Alonso or anyone thing like that but you know there's got to be there's got to be changes because bottom line seven wins out of 23 is just it's just not good enough eric you know it's interesting i was just thinking just as uh, steve was was answering your question. Uh, I wonder how different the perception would have been if Inter Miami had lost to a team uh, other uh, than than Nashville. The fact that that Nashville is an expansion team as, as well, and as Steve noted, um, you know, it, it seems seems to be at a a significantly different place in its progression as a uh, major league soccer f- franchise. Um, you know, not only in terms of, of the result, but the there's an identity about them. There's been an identity about them um, all season. Uh, the, the, you know, that that bond that you were talking uh, about before, it, it does seem like they have that bond. And, and true, perhaps they haven't had to deal with the, the same setbacks as Inter-Miami have, uh, especially coming into this this last game, this playoff game. However, you know both these teams appeared at pretty much the same time, were dealt with COVID in 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 pretty much the the, the same uh, exact way, like everybody else did, and they were both expansion teams. And I think that if you look at 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 Inter Miami just from that prism, um, from that angle with that lens, I I think that you would think that ownership has a lot to decide here. Uh, and, and I don't know, and, and again, something that Steve said that I think is really important, it just seems like there's so much noise about this Inter-Miami team right now. It's uncertainty about a coach. And, and I agree that you can't be too harsh because this is, is these circumstances are, are, are very difficult to deal with. We're not sure about the players, even some of the players who are the big-name players like Rodolfo Pizarro. Has he shown enough to prove to anybody that he can be a DP who can lead this team anywhere? I, I, I don't know. I think he, ha- he had promising games. So I think there are a lot of questions, and I think that resolving all the issues that have presented themselves – is too is just too difficult a a task uh, to 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 wrap a nice bow 
um, at the end of the the off season, if you will. I think these are growing pains that we're going to see for, for the next couple of seasons, if that makes any sense. I will, I will make the point that 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 you find Nashville is interesting and stuff, but but Miami is still so much more newsworthy than, than pretty much any other team. And Alexi Alice made the point that yes, we need these well-run clubs like Nashville and everything else that have done so well, but you need that kind of arrogant, big-hitting sort of box office sort of teams in the mold of something like Miami, who brash. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to bring in the big players, and that that's why we're talking about it and why it's interesting. So we're not denigrating the team and saying they're hopeless or anything like that they just they are super newsworthy and i think they are getting the attention like we're giving them right now because of what they're trying to be and i think that's what makes it interesting right absolutely but the problem is if you're going to be bombastic and if you're going to be aggressive and you're going to be uh you know you you're going to have all this ambition and then you fall flat on your face the way that they did well that then all of a sudden all the the Everything in the veneer cracks, right? And and all the ugliness is exposed. And I think that maybe ugliness is a is a bit of a, a of a loaded term, but a lot of loose ends that need to be tied now. And I think that's just a very difficult thing to do in a very short period of time. Eric's the type of student that on his test they would you know they'd have the question and then three lines for him to write his like you know two three sentence response, and he would just write down the, the whole side of the paper to to fill in his response. Because that was the longest winded answer I've heard for. For the question of what kind of owner do you think Jorge Mas is? I'm, <laughs> I didn't I'm, even answer that question. <laughs> exactly. So thank you for that. Look, I'm going to say this. Jorge Mas is one of the most forward-facing owners in Major League Soccer. He's at every home game, in the stands. You saw his upset demeanor. He had a pretty angry face the day that the Inter-Miami Atlanta United game was canceled without any knowledge of what was really going on, at least on, on his half. He was pretty upset. There's pictures of, of of him in the stands. I don't think he will stand for this for too long. I think he will, he, he will, he's very hands-on. I think, again, I think Diego Alonso gets another, another season or at least a half a season. But if the things don't, if you don't see improvement by mid-season next year, I don't think he's going to be happy about spending all this money into this squad, and then it's just not not producing for him because he he's a Miami guy. He knows how important winning is and and all of that. So definitely think he he will uh, not not be shy to pull the plug if needed to next year. Okay, last question has to be super fast because we have to get our final thoughts in. And this comes from Gabe P. It's not really a question, but he says, "Dude, I feel like he has given all the answers we wanted." He's talking about AJ Delagarza. Now, I do think that management won't like that, and I feel they will probably trade him, but I wish he would have played more. I don't think the veterans were given a real chance by Alonso. Um, I'll start here. I think he gave the veterans a chance. Now, you're talking about depth options and, and players on the bench. Sure, there, there were players he didn't trust in, and he didn't show much confidence in until late in the year when he had to. But I think, again, it speaks just to the point of this roster not being... Um, one that fits his vision and what he he has in mind. So, I'm just gonna we're gonna jump into the final thoughts here, and I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a question out for you guys. So this is the the, the Q and A finale or the French word that you guys kept using earlier that I don't know how to pronounce. Um, <laughs> what grade do you give Inter Miami for this season? What grade? And you guys just touched on it in a, in a very uh, detailed way, but just give me a grade. Uh, you know, one grade and maybe a sentence or two for why. Uh, starting with you, Steve. Um, C minus. Must do better. Done okay in parts, but more homework needed. 
<laughs> Obviously, never been a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, you're up. Uh, C plus. Uh, must try harder. Uh, understand circumstances w- were were difficult. Uh, look, they made, they made the playoffs. Okay, they, they backpedaled into the playoffs uh, in the first season. That has got to count for something in in 2020. So a, a C plus. Um, which is is pretty positive. I mean, you get you get a pass, and you can take your report card to your parents, and and you know they'll smile a little bit. So I'll give them that. Wow, you both are by far way more positive than I'm going to be. They get a D minus. They, they 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 the only reason this wasn't a failure is because they snuck into the playoffs as the 10th place team on the last day of the season. If they hadn't made the playoffs, this would be an F. They talk, They came into the season talking a big game about being one of the best teams in the league. They talked about that during the season. Nicolas Figal said it one, after MLS is back, we are, we're a new team, but we're one of the biggest teams in MLS. This, they were, this, the hype was sold from early on. They sold the, this, this aspirations of we're going to be a championship caliber team. We're going to contend at least for MLS Cup in our first season. We're going to try to win everything. And they fell so far short of that. Yes, there are reasons for it, but they fell so far short of that. This they they barely get a passing grade. Barely. I mean, it's not even a passing grade. They they barely did not fail, um, in my opinion. So D minus for for the team. That does it for this week's show. We'll be back next week. We'll talk a lot more about the individual performances, what positions need to be addressed, uh, who stays and who goes a little more. Um, we'll have we'll try to have Eric back on if his schedule permits. We'll, of course, have Steve on, and we'll have myself as well. But that does it for this week's show. Make sure you stay tuned to us. And again, follow us on all our social media accounts. For more giveaways, we did a giveaway last week. Gave away uh, a pink training top uh, to, to at 954Garcia on Instagram. We'll probably do one on YouTube in the next week or two. So stay tuned for that. But we'll see you guys next week, and we'll talk again on the next one.